0: Welcome to the Runner's World Show. And you've probably heard by now that this is, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the final episode of the show under the Runner's World umbrella. We're taking a break for a while, but we'll be back later this fall. And when we come back, we'll have a new look and a new name, Personal Best. But we'll still be in the same feed, so please don't unsubscribe. And we'll still be bringing you compelling interviews and great advice. But before we get rolling with today's final show, I just want to take a minute to say a few quick things. We, and, and when I say we right now, I mean myself and producer Christine Fennessy, who is recording this host section, which he's done for 99% of our 70 episodes. We really want you to know how grateful we are to each and every one of you for being our listeners. We started this project two years ago along with our Human Race podcast host Rachel Swaby. While we could have quickly thrown a podcast or two out into the world, we spent months trying to craft the shows we thought our listeners and readers would want. Luckily we found our amazing producer Sylvia Ryerson before we fully got going. And besides Rachel, she was the only one among us who knew anything about podcasting or audio production. We wouldn't have gotten far at all without her amazing talent and excitement for the project. And honestly, she had a lot of patience too because I nearly kept her from her bus back home to Brooklyn several times. Sorry about that, Sylvia. Since then, thanks to Sylvia and to you, our listeners, we've learned so much. We've read every single one of your comments on Twitter, at RW Audio, on Facebook, at Runners World Audio, and in our email, rwaudio at rodale.com. And while we weren't always able to respond directly, trust us, we heard you. Your feedback really did help us learn and create a better show. We wish we could keep this thing we love going, just as it is, the Runners World Show. But while we're sad for this run to come to an end, we are really excited for what's next on Personal Best. So stay with us. But so given that this is our final episode, it wasn't easy to come up with the lineup. In the end, we decided to go with the beer mile, which means the first two segments of this episode might not be appropriate for younger listeners or for those triggered by conversations about alcohol. If that's you, we encourage you to skip ahead to the kick, where we promise there is no talk of drinking or chundering. And if you don't know what chundering is, keep listening. It may sound horrible and irresponsible and yes, potentially dangerous, but it is a thing, a legit thing with its own website, worldwide racing, sponsored elite athletes, widespread media coverage, including in Runners World Magazine and RunnersWorld.com, and it even has its own annual championship, the beer mile. Four beers, four laps around the track. And if you've never heard of it, here's how it works in summary. The race starts with runners chugging a beer. Then they run one lap around the track. Then they chug a second beer. Then they run a second lap. Chug, run, chug, run. After four beers and four laps, the first one over the line wins. If you throw up, which happens a lot, you run a penalty lap. Canadian Lewis Kent is very, very good at not throwing up. In fact, he's held the world record in the beer mile three times. His fastest such mile was in 2015 when he ran an astonishing 447.17. The current world record as of this recording, and and get ready for this time, is a 434.35. It was set last year by Canadian Corey Bellamore at the Beer Mile World Classic in London. And now let me remind you, that time, 434.35, that includes running, a mile in chugging four beers. It kind of boggles my mind in all honesty. In fact, Lewis's 447.17 currently ranks him just as the third fastest beer miler, according to beermile.com. But he did become the event's first professional beer miler. In 2015, he scored a shoe contract with Brooks. Earlier this summer, editor Kit Fox talked with Lewis over Skype. And sure, Kit is endlessly curious about all things running. But as you'll hear, he had a very specific interest in this particular conversation.
1: So a few of us are actually going to attempt a beer mile, uh, unofficially, of course, and I really want to win. So can you give me some tips just to give me any sort of advantage over the competition? I've noticed watching some of your videos, you wear some sort of glove on your hand. What is that about?
2: Yeah, um, that dates back to before I actually started doing elite beer miles. Uh, It was back in the chase for the first person to run sub five for a beer mile. And uh, an Australian named Josh Harris had the, the run completely set up and uh, he was on pace to go well under five minutes and be the first man to ever do it. And he came into his fourth bottle of beer and he was using twist offs, but about one in 10 twist off bottles doesn't want to twist off. So he stood there for about 10 seconds trying to twist off his beer, um, <laughs> which ended up costing him because he ran a five Oh two or five Oh three after that whole 10 second uh, mishap. So now we uh, wear a glove During most of the elites wear gloves during the race just in case uh, because half a second or a second can make or break a race so uh, it just gives you that little extra bit of grip for the twist off and in case you get one of those stubborn caps it uh, helps you get a little more grip to get the beer cap off.
1: Okay and so I I mean I think one of the hardest things about this has got to be uh, downing the beer in one go right because you're delayed pretty significantly if you bring the beer back down and then have to go back up again.
2: That's definitely correct. That is uh, the difference between uh, – in in the elite beer mile world, that's the difference between a uh, 5.30 to 5.45 beer mile and a 5-minute to a 5.10 beer mile. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's just such a – by the time – it's not just that you take the beer away from your mouth, take a couple seconds, and then go back up. It just – as soon as you stop chugging, your body really wants to breathe and starts burping and belching, and you just – it just <laughs> – is a lot easier once you get into a rhythm that if you can if you can get it down in one go I'd say if you're chugging it one go people are doing it between Five and a half in eight or nine seconds But if you take a break you're easily losing a minimum of five to six seconds on that beer So that's quite a quite a bit if you're multiplying that over the course of the four beers
1: in the middle of the race How do you uh? how do you keep from like you're obviously out of breath when you he- reach that zone do you like take a couple deep breaths before you you know
2: I know what you mean it's uh it was definitely a mental battle the first few times I did it and uh the first few times it wasn't perfect it was could get the first two or three down in one go and then I have to take a break on the fourth or but now I can say in the last I don't know 10 or so beer mileage I've done I've never had to take a break just I think it's more mental and practice makes perfect than anything you uh once you practice being able to chug out a breath and just be able to stare at that beer for six, seven seconds, and you know you're going to get it down. And just mentally knowing that in the race that if you do take a break, you're pretty much out of it, that uh, you know you've got to get that beer down in one go.
1: Okay, and so in, in terms of the, the angle, I think I've seen you've actually studied the the best angle for the liquid to pour out. Yep. What is the secret formula, the secret angle? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so I think it depends on if you're using a can or a bottle. Okay. Uh, I use a bottle. Um, I find a lot of people go way too aggressive with the angle, so they're almost vertical with it or 90 degrees. I'd say you're better off starting at a little lower of an angle. The thing with the higher angle is that you can get away with that with a water or a non-carbonated beverage, but when you go with a really high angle, the way the fluid – the beer moves in the bottle, it creates a lot of foam. So but you can get all the liquid out really quickly, but then you're left with a few inches of foam in the bottle and you know, you can't have too much beer left over or you get in trouble from mm-hmm. that. So, so uh yeah, I'd say you got to kind of keep it closer to 45 degrees at a lower angle and once you're closer to the end of the beer, you can kind of slowly ramp up the angle as when there's less liquid, it kind of sloshes around a bit less and creates a bit less foam. Uh
1: now is there anything that you can do to deal with, I guess, for lack of a better word, the you know gas party that's happening in your stomach? Are you burping <laughs> intentionally?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'd say uh, everyone's kind of chugged like a, a can of Coke or some sort of pop uh, throughout their life, and when, when, once you finish uh, chugging it, there is that natural kind of burp uh, that comes up, and that's great. You definitely want to be able to get those up, and if... After beer one or beer two on race day, you're not getting those automatic burps then your body's just not ready to roll that day I mean it it happens to the best of us and but you definitely need to uh, Try and get more burps up So I'll have that initial burp from the beer and then for the first hundred meters or so of the lap I'll be trying to get additional Like making myself burp Uh, Most people think it's the liquid that's bothering them But it it definitely is the gas buildup and kind of that gas does occupy space in your stomach so if you can get most of that gas up by making yourself burp, then you can get the liquid down without much discomfort.
1: What's the biggest mistake you've ever made while doing a beer mile?
2: I'd say at first when I was doing it, it was just going out like way too, way too aggressively. Um, like I said, like you do get to a mental state where you can kind of come out of come in the zone out of breath and then still be able to chug it in one go. But you definitely want to be even paced or even slightly get quicker as you go along. Um, going out too quickly just means that you're not going to be able to get the beers down in the zone, and all, everything that hurts as part of the beer mile just starts hurting a little earlier, and uh, that's uh, that's what I'd say. I'd say that or a funny story I have from one of the first ever beer malls I did was uh, we went to all-you-can-eat sushi a couple hours before. So Sounds like a great just
1: pregame meal.
2: <laughs> it was kind of an impulse decision <laughs> to do the beer mall afterwards, and you can imagine how that one ended up. Oh, boy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I kind of don't want don't to visualize that at all. Th- but that, no. d- that does bring me to um, – I want you to introduce – there's a special term uh, – unique to the beer mile when you you know vomit what what is the phrase that you guys call it a chunder
2: oh chunder yeah Yeah. i think that became a thing in uh the beer mile world classic in 2015 uh that was the first time i heard that term coined because uh it was an australian guy uh chundered and then they called it the chunder from down under so that's (laughs) kind of how that became a thing but yeah you definitely want to you don't want to chunder that's for sure
1: and and you are pretty you know famous for not chundering in the in the biggest races you've been in um yep
2: w- how <laughs> um i think a lot of it comes down to just race experience and and being able to handle the nerves i mean anyone that's ever been in a big race or a championship race before knows that you know there's a lot more on the line so it can be pretty nerve-wracking and uh in a regular race it's not a big deal because as soon as the gun goes those nerves go away but in the beer mile, as soon as the gun goes, you've got to start chugging a beer. And <laughs> if it feels like there's butterflies in your stomach at that point, it's not a good thing. So <laughs> I'd say uh, for me, it's mostly just confidence on race day, uh, knowing that I'm prepared as well as I can be and being nervous and all that's not going to help at all. So
1: It just sounds like it's such a mental game. I need you to mentally prepare me. W- when is am I going to feel the worst?
2: I'd say the toughest mental part is at the halfway point. So, once you've finished your second lap, you're two beers in and two laps in, you're grabbing your third beer, and you can't tell yourself it's the last one yet because you still got one more to go. So, I'd say grabbing that the middle of that third chug is definitely the hardest mentally. Because if on the fourth one and on the fourth lap, when you're when you have the beer in your hand, you tell yourself, Okay, last one, get it down. And once you run that fourth lap, you're like, okay, a minute to go. This is all gonna be over with. But that third one, when you grab it, you've just gotta. All I do is tell myself, this is the hardest part. This is the worst of the worst. Just get this, get this beer down. Get around the track for this lap and let the last, let the last beer in the last lap take care of itself. Try not to think too far ahead, because if you're, uh, if you're thinking about the fourth beer when you're still on the third one, then you're uh, not gonna be in a good headspace.
1: <laughs> okay, and then kind of the last thing I'm wondering, can you describe to me the physical sensation you have let's say right when you cross the finish line, 5 minutes from when you cross the finish line and then like 20 minutes after crossing the finish line.
2: For sure. Um I'd say as soon as you cross the finish line, it's pretty similar to if you've just raced a regular mile. I mean, obviously you've been doing a bit of different things during, but um right with the first five minutes or crossing the line, you're kind of glad it's done because, you know, you don't have to get a fifth one down. Um, If you've made it to the cross the line without having to do a penalty lap, that's even better. Um, So I'd say crossing the line is just, you know, it's all done. Uh, Maybe if the beers didn't go down great that day, it's a bit of discomfort and there's still (laughs) quite a bit of, quite a bit of burping that's going to go on over the next couple of minutes. I'd say five minutes after it's kind of, once almost like the runner's high or like post-race high kind of kicks in and starts, you get that kind of endorphin rush and you start feeling well. And I find uh, with mine at least two or three times when I've run my quickest times, just from the full physical exertion of running max out and having four beers in, I have chundered <laughs> like three or four minutes afterwards just from going all out. Sure. Um, so that, that may, that may or may not occur, but if it does, it'll be within the first uh, couple minutes and, Usually about five minutes after that's kind of subsided and feeling better, and then uh, t- by twenty minutes after the the beer has definitely kicked in, and uh, at that that's the point where you decide whether you're gonna keep fueling the fire or not and <laughs> make a good night of it, or if you're gonna get a if it's uh, appropriate to do so, get some waters in you and <laughs> get back home. So yeah, say so twenty twi- minutes after is when the fun fun feelings kick in.
1: Exactly, and uh, so you'd say about twenty minutes after. That's when you can uh you can have your celebratory post race beer.
2: Exactly. Yeah, you always have a fifth one ready to go.
1: <laughs> okay, and then what is the current world record and what have you improved on to knock off?
2: Um, the current world record is four thirty four point something. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but from my four forty seven, just based off the run speed, um, I've been training harder than ever. So uh in the 4.47, the chugs weren't exactly perfect. Um, pretty much to run a world record now, you need to have a perfect, perfect four beers to go down. Um, and then for me, more so, it was kind of getting the running down. So um, I've definitely improved on my running fitness, and that's definitely where I can chalk off most of the time. Um, I can't remember exactly what the splits were on my world record. I think it was something like 25, 26 seconds for the beers, and then about a 4.21 mile i'm in way better shape than a 421 mile right now so if i can get that down to closer to a 410 mile mid-race then that's already 11 seconds there and shave a couple seconds off the chugs and i'm already down to a mid 430 so that's where the the time will be made up on the run for sure
1: what what is your mile pr
2: my mile pr is 415 okay oh so, you're, so yeah
1: <laughs> you're, you're planning are, are you in pr mile shape right now
2: yeah definitely
1: wow are we uh, are we ever going to see a day where someone runs a sub four mile in their splits of while chugging four well, beers?
2: Well, the world record was set uh, by Corey Belmore. Yeah. And he doesn't. He he's a good chugger. Obviously, you have to be to be on that level. But like I said, in my world record, I think I was twenty five seconds on the beers. I think he was thirty two in his. He ran a four hundred one or four hundred two mile <laughs> wow. in that four thirty four. Yeah. I think in the soon to be future, you may see a sub four mile in a beer mile, which is absurd. Wow,
1: can you leave me with any words of wisdom or or some sort of pep talk? Uh,
2: uh what I'll say is, uh, make sure you've got your beer of choice uh, pre-selected. So in the days leading up, if you're deciding between what kind of beers you want, give uh even if it's just one chug, and you've uh, say five nights out, each night before you try one different beer to chug, make sure you get one that yeah uh, you've chugged before, and okay. and you uh, you. No, we'll go down smoothly it'll be a good mental it's good on the start line to know you've chugged one before um and i'd say burp early and burp often but uh don't trust them in the last few laps (laughs) if it's if it feels like it's coming from real deep down then it might not just be a burp so that's uh that's the hardest part
0: That was editor Kit Fox speaking with former Beer Mile World Record holder, Lewis Kent. And coming up, a few of us attempt to run an unofficial, totally unsanctioned, underground Beer Mile without chundering. Before we get into this next segment, I just want to repeat the disclaimer from earlier in the show. The following piece is probably not ideal for younger listeners or those with an alcohol trigger, or those with a weak stomach, or those who think we're advocating runners do a beer mile. We're not. Okay, disclaimer over. And here's the truth. A lot of us here have long wanted to run a beer mile. It's just one of those dumb, suffer-fest running challenges a lot of us can't resist. But it's tough, you know, for obvious reasons. You can't run a beer mile at a school track. In fact, as we came to learn, one of the hardest things about running a beer mile is finding a spot to run the beer mile. Eventually, a mutual friend offered up his place, and a bunch of us got together on our day off to see just how bad we'd be at chugging and running. And now I just want to be clear here, all of the runners were over, and well over in most cases, 21 years old. Everyone came with a designated driver, and we followed the run with a cookout and enough food to soak up a small pond. Now, like I said, none of us showed up that day expecting to be very good at this. Well, except for one runner. I'll let producer Christine Fennessy take it from here.
3: It's just afternoon on a warm, overcast holiday. Seven runners and a handful of spectators are milling around a table. The table is set up on a strip of mowed grass at the edge of a field beneath a highway overpass. On top of the table sit 28 cold cans of beer. They're arranged in neat rows of four, one row per runner. Next to each row is a sticky note with a runner's name or initials. When you're running a beer mile, after all, it's important not to get your beers mixed up. The beer is Coors Banquet, and it meets all the beer mile requirements. It's in a 12-ounce can, it doesn't have a wide mouth, and its alcohol by volume is 5%, the official minimum allowed. I walk around checking in with the seven runners. I wanna know if they've ever run a beer mile before, and how, just minutes before the start, they're feeling about what they're about to do to themselves. I start with my co-producer, Brian.
0: Um, Zero beer miles, and I'm uh, not doing, don't think I'll do well. I think I'm pegging myself for last because of the uh, consumption part of this. Um, I just I practiced this week just trying to drink something really fast and uh, it took quite a while. So um, I'm just gonna take my time and hopefully I can make up in between the run. You're just lowering the expectations right now, I think. He's been practicing for
1: three months, he just won't tell us.
3: That's Kit ragging on Brian. Kit, it turns out, is the most experienced competitor here, thanks to his senior year in college. This is his third beer mile.
1: Experience tells me that this is not going to be fun. I feel good if this was like a normal race. Like I had my normal, I had a, you know, a couple of leg and a clementine, drank a cup of coffee, some water. Like I feel good to run a mile. Uh, But two days ago, I tried to practice and uh, I chugged a beer and just, it, already didn't feel good, and that's when I knew, <laughs> that's when I knew, <laughs> it's not going to go well.
3: While Kit is talking pre-race nutrition and some of the other runners are jagging an easy warm-up, one competitor has taken a distinctly different approach. He's already drinking.
4: My name is Keith. Um, this will be my second beer mile. Um, I'm pretty excited. I'm uh, pre-gaming, just uh, getting a nice base of uh, course Banquet, um, and uh yeah, I, I don't run, but I do drink a lot. So uh, that's my strategy. I'm going to chug faster than everybody and uh, hopefully not throw up.
3: The next runner, Suzanne, is a bit concerned about such a public suffer fest.
4: I have run one other beer mile, so this will be my second.
0: Um, and I'm feeling kind of nervous right now. I've never done a beer mile at noon, so so that's, that's the first. It was very dark the first time, so no one could see each other. We're all going to see each other's faces. <laughs> I'm Jeff, Uh, I have done no beer miles in my
2: life, but I'm feeling pretty good because I've been drinking for more years than some of these competitors have been alive, so I think that might give me an edge, but I don't mix the running and the beer thing ever, so this is uncharted territory.
3: I'm Allie, I have done zero beer miles, and I am feeling incredibly nervous, and like I'm gonna throw up already. (laughs) And finally, I catch up with our last runner who designed today's course. Since we're not on a track, this is not an official beer mile attempt. But Warren did his best to stick close to the rules, laying out the course with a measuring wheel to ensure each runner runs a quarter mile between beers.
5: Um, I've done two beer miles. Um, I'm nervous, I gotta be honest with you. This is uh, is pretty intense. The competition's steep, the beer is, is cold, the course is legit it's grass mowed grass it's a straight out uh 200 meters around a cone and back Um, there's a 10 uh, foot transition zone so that's where the table is it's between two cones and in that zone is where the beers are lined up the runners have to obviously go around the far cone and break the plane here at the uh, start finish line and then when they're within the zone obviously they can drink their drink their beer
3: and um who, who are you most worried about
5: uh... keith i'm i'm worried about keith a lot um, he's a serious drinker um, he uh... he has experience drinking a lot of it and um, i'm i'm concerned that you know it's there's guys here who are twice three times as fast as he is but i just don't see them being able to hold you know, their liquor like Keith can. And and, and so, you know, that's why I think, you know, in the long run, I think we're gonna have a tortoise and hare situation. I think a lot of guys are gonna go out really hard and that's gonna be their undoing, whereas Keith isn't gonna be able to go out as hard, but he's gonna be able to finish strong with the the drinking.
3: All right, well, best of luck to you, Warren.
5: Thank you very much.
3: Finally, the time for warming up, or pre-gaming, is over, and the runners gather at the start. Kit reviews the rules rules are pretty
1: simple you chug a beer you run down to the cone run back chug a beer run down repeat four times if you chunder i learned that that's the official term if you chunder before crossing the finish line on the fourth beer you have a penalty lap doesn't matter how many times you throw up you have one penalty lap but to finish you still have to finish all the beers
3: so if you chunder and you need to do a penalty lap, do you have to drink another beer? No.
1: But you do have to, but you do, if, so if you chunder on the first lap, you have to finish all the other beers. Like, you still have to finish the race. A uh, couple other things, we'll have people observing. You can have, like a, like, a reasonable amount of spillage, but not, like, you can't just throw it back and nothing, you know, goes in your mouth, obviously. When, you, when you're done with the beer, you have to hold it above your head and like, obviously some drops are gonna go out. That's gonna be up to the judge's discretion. Who's the judge?
3: We appoint our judges. Derek will monitor the spillage in the transition zone and Robert will stand at the far cone and make sure none of the runners cut the course. With that last detail sorted out, the milers line up. Five men and two women stand on the white stretch of flour poured over the grass that marks the starting line. Jeff, ever the serious runner, is bent over, hand on his watch. Keith, on the other hand, looks like he's waiting for the bus. The rest of them are in various states of resignation and expectation, eyeing the beer table. After Heather tells them to go, they'll take about three steps to the table and crack open their first cans. On chug, okay? Ready, set, chug! And Kit is the first to go, followed by Jeff and Keith. Wow, Kit did that fast. Okay, there goes Suzanne. She's fourth. Allie's doing good. Just a little bit of spillage. Oh, Warren's having some problems. (laughs)
5: This is so embarrassing.
3: (laughs) Yes, that horrible sound is the sound of Warren chundering. Okay, so we have chunder number one, folks. Chunder number one. Warren finally takes off as the first three runners, Keith, Kit, and Jeff have nearly finished their first out and back lap. Coming in, we have Keith in the lead, which is kind of astonishing. And right behind him, I'd say about 20 feet behind him is Kit. And then about 10 feet behind him is Jeff. Suzanne is not too far behind. Here comes Keith. Wow, Keith. This is already terrible. It's all about concentration now in this first group of runners. Gone are the smiles. Keith is staring off into the distance as he downs his second beer. Jeff too is super focused. Both are breathing hard, their stomachs pulling double duty, extending to accommodate both oxygen and carbonation. You can feel the rivalry brewing. It's drinker versus runner. In a surprise twist, Jeff finishes his second beer first. He throws it down and takes off. A few seconds later, Keith is trotting after him. After a stellar first chug, Kit is no longer in fine form. He pauses, turns toward the high grass, and chunders into the weeds. Meanwhile, Suzanne is back, and though she too is breathing hard, she's smiling between gulps, and honestly, she looks pretty darn good. There goes Suzanne, nice! And there goes Kit after Suzanne. All right, here comes Warren. All right, Warren, you can do this. Back. Oh, As Warren has been chundering his way through his first lap, Allie has been fighting her way through her second beer. Her eyes are wide, and you get the sense she's battling her inner voice of reason. Okay, that's it. Good, yeah? Nice. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, so now we got Keith again in the lead, Jeff's behind him, only probably about five feet. They're they're running a fairly conservative pace, good, I sure, would say. I think list. I think it might hurt a little bit. Wow. All right, you guys are neck and neck. Jeff and Keith. <laughs> These are very serious competitors, folks. There's not a lot, not a lot of talking. Oh, and um, Warren has chundered yet again. That would be three. Did that in the weeds. Nice. Just so it's clear who's where at this point, both Brian and Warren are on their second beers. Warren, who must have come to the event today in a somewhat compromised state, has vomited three times, which means he'll have to run a penalty lap. So we will Kit. Meanwhile, Keith and Jeff continue duking it out over their third beers in the chug zone. How are you feeling, Keith? feel very good. Yeah. OK, there goes Jeff. He's now ahead of Keith again, but there goes Keith. All right. This is, this is, this is a hot race here. As the contenders for first and second take off, now at a considerably more ponderous pace, Suzanne and Allie head in and crack open Coors Banquet number three.
4: Oh, oh my God. <sighs> We just have to be warned. That's all we want.
3: This, I'm pretty sure, will not be a problem. I turn away from Suzanne and Allie's impressive chugging in time to see Jeff and Keith coming in for beer number four. <laughs> okay, we got Jeff in the lead, and now Keith is about oh, I'd say he's a good 30 feet behind. He's got a really, he's got some time to make up here. All right, what's going on back here? A lot of, a uh, lot
1: of, a lot of digestive. It's a carnival in my stomach right now.
3: Oh, yeah! <laughs> that was Ellie. <laughs> I kind of can't believe this is the first burp I've caught on tape. I should note that Warren, at this point, is still in a battle of wills with beer number two. Meanwhile, Jeff and Keith are going gulp for gulp with beer number four. All right, this is it. This is the beer I'd say Jeff is about halfway through his beer. Keith has really got to just chug, buddy. Oh, no! Oh, Jeff just chundered. Oh, and Kit, did you chew? Warren finally finishes beer number two, and he kind of waddles off down the course. His stride is more stiff cowboy than smooth contender. Brian, nursing beer number three, stands there and stares at Warren in wonder.
0: Man, Warren in the distance looks... We need. We made me need to tell Warren to stop.
3: Okay, so Kit just took off. Jeff is right behind them, but both of them have vomited. So they are. Keith only needs to keep keep it down. I think I got it. How does your stomach feel? Um, I'm a little full. You've had an extra beer beyond everyone else. Oh yeah. Here comes Suzanne. Suzanne, looking good, man. Suzanne, now on her fourth and final Coors Banquet, is clearly employing some deep breathing techniques to calm the storm in her gut. She looks remarkably composed and driven. Speaking of driven, Jeff, who overcame Keith in lap four, barrels into the transition zone. He crosses the start-finish line then turns around and heads back out for his penalty lap. Meanwhile, the chunder-free Keith is heading home for the win, but he's still about 100 meters away and he's moving with all the urgency of a dude on his way to the dentist. Go, Jeff, go! Yeah, Okay, Jeff is a very fast runner, much, much faster than Keith, and he's on his penalty lap now, and Keith is kind of trotting on his way back. I'm not sure he knows how much faster he's gotta run. Keith doesn't change his stride in the slightest, and he crosses the start-finish line to cheers and high fives, and goes straight for the cooler. There's one last Coors Banquet buried in the ice. He pulls it out, cracks it open, and walks back into the transition zone where Allie and Kit are doing their best to conquer their final beers. Keith is breathing hard, but not too hard, and he certainly doesn't look like you would expect him to look. No, in fact, Keith looks content, a man in his element, a man no runner at this event can quite understand.
1: Cheers. This this, This is gross. This is my fourth and your sixth. Yes, yeah. All
3: right. I had to know. So how are you feeling, Keith? Um, I actually feel pretty good. I knew
4: that I knew that Jeff chugging the third beer really fast. I had him. He
3: he didn't have a smile on his face. So you were monitoring him. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Strategy. As I'm talking to Keith, Jeff runs across the start-finish line, clinching second place. He stops his watch, proclaims his time is eleven twenty-three then head straight for the weeds. I leave him to the bushes and turn around to see our third place runner come across the line. All right, first female finisher, Suzanne. Suzanne, man, you're walking away from me. I know you don't want to talk, but can you tell me how you feel? Uh, Very full, I would say uh, my nutrition plan beforehand should not have been two donuts and potato chips. (laughs) I thought I wanted something to soak up the beer, but. And I don't know how long was that? How did I do? How Well, do- he finished in 1123, and I'd say you came back like 30 seconds after him, so. I PR'd, I PR'd this beer mile. <laughs> I feel good. I wrap up with Suzanne and again, turn around just in time to see Allie, then Kit, cross the finish line. How do you feel? I feel like I'm stronger than all the men because I can hold my liquor. <laughs> I would say you should feel incredibly <laughs> proud of yourself because you. there are very few people here who have not vomited. Yes! <laughs> Success! <laughs> to clarify, the no-chunders, Keith, Suzanne, Brian, and Allie. The chunderers, Jeff, Kit, and Warren. Oh, Warren. It's been a while since I've mentioned the poor guy. Warren is leaning on the table, shirtless, with his hat on backwards. He's holding his third beer, and mostly not drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Warren is a pretty fit guy without much of a belly to speak of, but now his stomach is kind of yeah. ballooned into an instant beer gut. And, and Warren, how, how are you doing there? Oh it's terrible.
5: My belly's <laughs> just full of beer.
3: I <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect? How many times have you vomited now? Four. All right. Well, that's solid. As Warren stands there looking surprised and disappointed and defeated all at the same time, Brian finishes. At that point, the whole group, runners and spectators, rallies around Warren as he slowly sips his last course Banquet. They cheer, they chant, they say juvenile stuff, and Warren threatens to vomit on Kit's feet. Finally, Warren throws the empty on the ground and heads off, slowly, for his fourth lap. Allie and our starter, Heather, who is seven months pregnant and wearing big rubber rain boots, run on either side of him for moral support. When they get back, he's off again with his cowboy stride, paying the penalty for all the chundering he's done. This time, his regular weekly running crew, Kit and Jeff and our judges Derek and Robert, run with him to keep him company. Brian's part of that group too, but having just gotten done with his own mile, he hung back with me to absorb the moment.
4: Um,
0: To see them come in as our lunch run crew, um, it brings a tear to my eye that this is being recorded for uh, for us to remember forever. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if we want to make this an annual tradition, or if we do, like maybe we just won't invite Warren next time.
3: All right, this is the
0: end,
5: officially.
4: Nice work, Warren!
5: Thank God that's over. (laughs) The running is not the problem, it's the drinking.
3: Indeed, six out of the seven runners had some degree of difficulty, naturally, with the drinking. Which brings us to that seventh runner, the outlier in the bunch. The tall, lean guy in the Funk Brewing t-shirt and the Genesee Brewing hat. The one person for whom inhaling, swallowing and retaining large amounts of fluid under stress and in a condensed period of time is no big deal. And because this person also happens to be my husband, worryingly effortless. I have been married to the guy for six years and I have no idea how he does it. You are the winner and so I'm going to ask you now, um, what is your secret?
4: I, uh, I really enjoy the taste of beer. It doesn't matter what it is. I would say my, my number one choice would be a cream ale, but uh, the Coors Banquet, you know, it's, it's been around for a really long time. I did some research. While everyone else did research on like, how to chug beer and how to run, uh, I did some research on Coors Banquet, and there were some great facts about it, and uh, that, that's what I care about. So yeah, I'm very, very excited that I, I won.
3: I'm actually not sure if that fully explains Keith's prowess. And I guess I'm happy for him? But I found Kit's take on the whole thing way more relatable.
1: That was worse than I have ever imagined it could be. (laughs) Why? So I think, like I said, so this is for the amateur, this is my theory, for the amateur runner, this is not a running competition, it's a drinking competition and that's why keith won and congrats to him so i came in at like 1805 felt awful let's put this in perspective for just a second world record currently is four minutes and 34 seconds and that that means not only did the person who ran that average six seconds a chug per beer they ran a 402 mile honestly at this moment in time uh you know, maybe the beer, but I'm going to proclaim this. Probably one of the greatest human achievements. <laughs> I have no idea how they did it. I feel terrible. Let's just wrap this up so I can sit down.
0: That was producer Christine Fennessy reporting on the highs and many, many lows of the beer mile. All right, and welcome back to the final kick here in the last episode of the Runners World Show. I am joined in studio by digital editor Chris Michael. Hello, Chris.
6: Hey, Brian, how's it going?
0: Great. So beyond Kit, who is out reporting right now, um, you've probably been in here the most for the kick. Do you have any do you have any great memories of uh, our time in the studio together? Oh, or even even a, a back and forth with Kit.
6: Lot, lots of laughs. Uh,
0: laughs. Lots of laughs that got cut.
6: <laughs> lots of laughs that got cut. Uh, I, I feel like I just more than uh, like I feel like I have a sense memory of the eggshell walls more than anything else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and the smell that comes from the old lamps that we have in here. Yes. Those will last in your memory forever. Yes. We cannot get rid of this, especially in a warm summer afternoon recording the
6: kick. I feel like I feel like yeah, someday I'm going to walk past one of these old lamps somewhere else and smell it and I'm just going to feel like I need to explain a recent story on runnersworld.com for for no reason. You should
0: always be ready to do that. It's true. Drop of hat, that's the point of the kick to explain stories in a nutshell that you can share on your group run, stuff you wanna talk about with fellow runners. That's that's all we try to do. So yeah, any way we can jog that memory is good.
6: Old lamps. (laughs) Old
0: lamps for us. Okay, so let's just do this like a a regular kick and we'll close it out strong. Um, And speaking of closing out strong, um, let's start with a record we talked about. A lot of crazy records, Guinness records, weird stuff like that. But this one's legit we're gonna talk about. And we've talked about this a few times on the kick over the past couple years Mm -hmm. in regards to the Appalachian Trail. New record was set late last week.
6: Yeah, this was sort of a surprise too. Um, You know, there, there wasn't like a big Announcement. There was no huge thing. In fact, this was this started out um, as a an attempt at an unsupported through hike of the Appalachian Trail. Joe McConaughey, uh, he had some, you know, he's had he's had some background. He broke the Pacific Crest Trail supported speed record uh, in 2014. Uh, which has since been broken. So he's an ultra ultra runner. He's you know he's done things like this before, but he set out. Uh, in fact, he was even back posting his right. his uh, Instagram uh, account just so that nobody would come out and accidentally help him and mess um,
0: up that unsupported record.
6: Right. And so the unsupported record, you know, was a little bit longer than the supported record, um, and and he was just going for that. But he he ended up blazing through so fast that he found that he was within range of breaking even the supported record.
0: Yeah, and so Joe, he set this record late last Thursday night. He did it in 45 days, 12 hours, and 15 minutes, and that breaks Carl Meltzer's record from last summer of 45 days, 22 hours, and 38 minutes. He did that with support, and he broke it from the year before in the highly publicized like Scott Jurek breaking mm-hmm. of the record. Um, in 2015 um but yeah as you mentioned just doing it unsupported not only breaking the unsupported record but in the meantime getting in ahead of carl um we heard from our reporter jenny mccoy on this that she spoke with carl as he was about to break the record and carl who we had on the podcast talking about the record he said he wasn't shocked that joe was able to do it on his own a little faster because it's less logistics really to deal with and to like worry about other people. So he said he wasn't shocked by
6: it. It's kinda nuts. It is kinda nuts. I mean, because of course like McConaughey had to mail packages to himself mm-hmm. and, and, and try and get there. The the mental logistics of trying to take care of all of that seems like it would be much harder. But I have never attempted <laughs> uh to even make it to the corner store. <laughs> the I mean fastest, we're not we're not f-
0: we're not far from the uh Appalachian Trail if you want to try it. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I, I, I have a couple things going on, but uh, you know, maybe maybe next year. Maybe okay. if if a year goes by and nobody's uh, lowered the time, uh, I, I'll think about it. How's that?
0: Okay, and and just for reference, if you don't know, the Appalachian Trail about two thousand one hundred eighty nine miles, five hundred thousand feet of elevation change throughout the entire course of that. So to do it in a little under two months, like a month and a half, It's as, it's bonkers. Epic and like congratulations to him. And uh, we'll have a longer story up on the site this week. We're recording this on Tuesday. So can't wait to hear his thoughts on what he was going through and how amazing it was to finish this oh, yeah. up in Maine. So while we're kind of on the trails and we're thinking of like roots and rocks and dirt. We we were having a discussion with Ali Nolan last week and we were talking about like what's the deal when you're running and you end up kicking your calves a lot and you end up with that Mm -hmm. speck of dirt um, at the end of the run. And actually this weekend I was probably running like really lazy and I was doing that over and over and kept thinking this turns out uh, we found uh, an article on the site that we brought back to life and it really resonated with people Um, and it, it explains why. People actually do that. It's not completely random on why you kick your calves when you're running.
6: Yeah, I, I thought this was actually sort of surprising. So it's it's something that I've I've noticed that I've done before, but it wasn't something that I thought was indicative of anything necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that uh, you know if you if you get those little kick marks, mm-hmm. on your, that's a sign that uh, basically you have some weak glute muscles. It's it's a problem with your form, mm-hmm. uh, and there's an easy way to fix it, which is to do some glute exercises. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, thankfully, um, so it's like weak glutes definitely and that also leads to like a sign that your hips are probably weak. So any mm-hmm. strengthening exercises you can do to really stabilize your hips, keep them square, keep your belly button square mm-hmm. when you're running. It's not rocking back and forth. You're, you're making yourself propel forward better and you're not wasting effort. Um, so we will put up links on our episode page at runnersworldcom slash audio. that will have some glute workouts for you. We have a ton of those and hip strengthening workouts, a bunch of those as well. And, and that's the key. And you should also check out this article, other weird things like why one shoe tends to get a lot more wear than the other shoe. Mm-hmm. Like there's, a t- that's a telltale sign that something could be wrong with your form. And other weird little things you should check out.
6: Yeah, like when the horizon is bouncing up and down <laughs> more than it should. Yeah. That was an interesting one too.
0: Like, what are you doing wrong here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the final thing, and um, you know, we talked a lot about records, and um, we have you know brought up beer miles a lot on the kick. The one thing that I think we brought up the most over this year and a half would probably have to be running and dogs. Anytime there there was a cute dog story, that seemed like we had to talk about it in the kick. And this final story might be one of my favorites. So I'm glad it can like finish off the show. Please tell us a little bit about G-Dog and his story with the Chicago Marathon coming up.
6: Yeah, I mean, it, this sort of this story, I think there's a reason that it did well. It has everything. It's mm-hmm. it's it's got the the cute dog. It's got a heartbreaking story. Mm-hmm. It's it also has some just really amazing human interest. So Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, or G-Dog as he's known, <laughs> is. Uh, He's an incomplete paraplegic miniature Doberman. Yeah,
0: two years old.
6: He's two years old. He's got a rough backstory. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was shot, and then he ended up in jail.
0: Right, right. The jail part, not relating necessarily to the gunshot, but um, yeah, he he was shot by a bullet in his right shoulder when he was younger, Mm -hmm. um, and so that still remains lodged in his spine, and so he's unable to walk, right. Um, so he gets around with the help of like wheel, yeah.
6: his wheels attached yeah. to the back. Yeah. But, but he, so he he dragged his his back half for a little while. He mm-hmm. ended up needing some surgery, and he became um, you know sort of a, a rescue dog. And he was ended up becoming semi famous because mm-hmm. uh, as a foster dog that he was going into the jails and making connections with prisoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he became sort of a little bit well-known. Yeah,
0: and he was bouncing around a lot of homes at first because he was. Right. it's hard to take care of a dog, even a dog that small um, with so many issues. But but through this group out in California called Marley's Much, it got the attention of this woman. Her name is Janet Turner. She's 55 of Mineral Wells, West Virginia. And when she saw all this attention about G-Dog, mm-hmm. she figured she had to be the person who took him in and cared for him. Um, And it turns out Janet is a runner and she found a way to um, really include him despite his inability to run along with her on his own four feet. Right, so she... Or four paws, I should say. Four
6: paws, (laughs) So he's going to be participating in his very first marathon in October when uh, Turner puts him in a backpack. She's going to carry him, I think, about... Uh third of the way? She's saying like
0: a third or halfway. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Because she can tell that, you know, of course, like now, now that he's he's injured, he's he's not able to go for a run anymore. Mm-hmm. But he really wants to go for a run. He really enjoys going for a run, So she takes him on runs. Mm-hmm. So now she's going to run with him.
0: Yeah, she uses she takes him on training runs and she's saying that G Dog loves being out and that's his way of being active. And it's just an overall Lovely story to look out for in the Chicago Marathon this October.
6: Yeah. So if you're going to be in the marathon, look out for G-Dog. <laughs>
0: look for Janet. Look for G-Dog. Give him a wave. Give them a wave and uh, you know, just cheer them on to um, his half marathon finish and then her full finish. That'll be awesome. We'll be looking out for that one. Yes, we will. Well, as always, um, Chris Michael, he writes the warm-up. Daily newsletter, you should check that out. We'll put a link on the episode page as well. So if you still want to hear a bit of the voice of Chris, read the warm-up every weekday morning. You'll get that daily dose of motivation that hopefully the kick was giving you as well.
6: And plenty of stories about cute dogs.
0: Cute dogs all the time. And sometimes like ponies. And,
6: and sometimes um, ponies. Yeah. And and beer.
0: And beer. And snails every once in a while. Every once in a while. it gets It gets fun. It's fun. Right. Chris, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Alrighty, and that is it for this final episode of the Runner's World show. I'm Brian Dalick, and I'm a proud part of Team Podcast here at Runner's World, along with Sylvia Ryerson and Christine Fennessy. Now is also a great time to give a shout out to all of our colleagues who have joined us throughout the duration of. Of these 70 episodes it's a good long list so please uh, stick with us uh, but we'll start off with Kit Fox, Katie Knights, Joanna Sayago Golub, Megan Keita, Chris Michael, Heather Mayer Irvin, Warren Green, Robert Reese, Cindy Kuzma, Coach Bud Coates was always great on our roundtables, Ali Nolan, McGee um, key to get this show out onto social media and to help me out um, were Hannah McGoldrick and Monica Grater. Um, our roving reporters on The Kick, Aaron Strout, Sarah Lorge Butler, and Scott Douglas. Um, i also like to thank Suzanne Perot, Derek Call, David Graff, Suzanne Lair, Karen Mathis, Alex Hutchinson was key and uh, great for all of the Nike Breaking 2 coverage. Um, Of course, Bart Yasso, Jeff Dengate, Uh, I'd also like to thank Chris Kraft, Tish Hamilton. Um, I want to personally thank Rachel Swaby for uh, pitching the idea to do a podcast two years ago. And then when we took it to David Willey, um, he said, let's not just do one podcast, let's do two. And that's why you had the Human Race Podcast and the Runner's World Show. So. Of course, I'd like to thank David Willey, and we couldn't have done it without him or any of our colleagues to make this show what it was. So on behalf of all of us here at Runner's World, I would just like to say one last time, thanks for listening.